from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. An apology that's it has like the gloss of a PR statement, but just lacks genuine accountability. That started to bother me, and usually when something bothers me, I write a play about it. Um, <laughs> it's a great way to deal with that anger, right? Yeah. To make right, it, right. To make it funny. I mean, it's still angry. I don't want to downplay that. I think laughing out of out of something that is terrible is sort of an aesthetic that I'm that I'm interested in for sure. I'm Sarah Fensky. The sharply funny new play celebrating its world premiere at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis this weekend satirizes bro behavior and startups and bad bosses. But more than anything, it satirizes the ways we deal with allegations of sexual misconduct and our desperate desire to give men another chance. It's called The Gradient. It premieres this Friday, and it runs through October 24th. And joining us today is its playwright, Steph Del Rosso. Steph, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So this play feels positively ripped from the headlines. Is it fair to say it was inspired by current-ish events? Yeah, that is fair to say. Um, I usually write from a place of obsession, I would say. Um, And I started the play the summer of 2018 when I'd spent many, many months pretty obsessed with tracking the people, most of whom are men, um, who'd been accused of sexual misconduct and assault and just reading their apologies. Um, And they seem to all have one thing in common, which was, in my eyes, they were just wholly insufficient and inadequate. Um, You know, and I think we we saw this too, in a way, last summer um, in in our country's, you know, racial reckoning in response to never-ending police brutality. I think we Mm -hmm. see an apology that's it has like the gloss of a PR statement, but just lacks genuine accountability. Um, and when I was starting to write the play, I was also just thinking about this in my own life and reflecting on a lot of conversations I'd had with friends of mine um, about how we weren't just dissatisfied with these more famous men who've harmed, um, but with the men in our own lives who've harmed. Mm. And their botched way of reckoning with that or maybe their total distance from reckoning with that. So, yeah, that started to bother me. And usually when something bothers me, I write a play about it. Um, <laughs> it's a great way to deal with that anger, right? Yeah. To make right, it, right. To make it funny. I mean, it's still angry. I don't want to downplay that at all. <laughs> but you're finding a way to, to put a little twist on it. And the twist in this is that there's a startup, a startup that, that believes that they can rehabilitate this guy. They're, these guys, they're going to do it through an algorithm. <laughs> what what yeah. made you transmogrify the angry anger you were feeling <laughs> to this almost like satire of startup culture? Yeah, I mean, well, so I think with the startup concept, I was interested in, well, I wanted to challenge my own thinking about like, so what, what, what do I want when I say that I want these genuine apologies and genuine accountability? And then what if that aim were mismanaged? What if it were funneled through, you know, our cultural obsession with instant gratification and fast results and low risk, high reward and, and, you know, all the things that I think capitalism and also certain startup culture um, emphasizes and reifies. But I think too, comedy is pretty crucial for me. I mean, I think, I think self-seriousness is tricky. It's not 
really a generative space. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're laughing, you're, you're open, you're receptive, you're taken care of, right? Um, you can receive more, you can, whether it's a gut punch or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think comedy and satire in relation to, especially when you're talking about difficult topics and when you're dancing around or talking about trauma is crucial because I think laughter and especially now that we've been having live audiences it's been so exciting to hear the different moments when laughter emerges like you can laugh out of discomfort or recognition or you can laugh out of catharsis so I think I think comedy is a great vehicle for that yeah absolutely and I imagine it's been so interesting in the previews to see those points are there points that are getting laughs where you would have never even thought there'd be a laugh oh definitely yeah and that's always fascinating I mean and I think yeah I think almost better than a sort of, I mean, of course, like a a house full of people laughing can be really thrilling. But Mm -hmm. I think what's even more thrilling in a way is having the soul laugh, um, knowing that some individual is having their own private experience of a moment that I wouldn't have anticipated. Uh, Yeah, there's definitely a thrill there. So you're mocking the way that these apologies are almost commodified. I'm wondering, though, if, you know, you said this was based on, this algorithm was based on what you were kind of longing for in an apology. So does the algorithm start in a place where you're not mocking that, that it's kind of the the formula of what you were hoping for in these apologies? Or if there actually was a good apology, this is everything it had. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think there are, there's at least one moment in the play that I have tried to construct an apology that in theory I or perhaps someone else would want to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think in general, like rehabilitative non-carceral solutions to harm is good. I think that is what we should be doing. But I think, so I think at its base, the intentions of the gradient um, are quote unquote good. But of course... I just think that repairing this type of harm, it's messier. I don't think it's as as tidy as an algorithm is purporting to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's not linear. It's messy. It, it doesn't always feel good or satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where where the algorithm goes off the rails a bit. Yeah, and I think that's what made this this play so funny to me is just the way everything in America, we have to have some sort of like formula where we can measure our people being productive, you know, does mm-hmm. this work? And eventually every system ends up being gamed. It's just like a, a yeah. fact. And so you ha- you seem to have so much fun with that. Um, just kind of mocking our American obsession with wanting to figure out, okay, well, can we create a fast track for this? And how do we measure that? And and the people who mm-hmm. seem to be trying to make a lot of money. And, you know, frankly, I could see the gradient working. They would make a lot of money off of it. <laughs> yeah. Did that crack you up just thinking about how horrible that is? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, I mean, of course, like, you know, the, our actors are really also doing such a heavy lift here in an amazing way. And I think a lot of the humor comes out of their performances. But yeah, I mean, I think laughing out of out of something that is terrible is sort of an aesthetic that I'm that I'm interested in, for sure. <laughs> so thinking about the idea of the gradient being real, like it feels only maybe a step or two away from being real. How do you even find that room for satire in a world that is as topsy-turvy? It, it almost feels like you could be overtaken by current events. Somebody could come up with a startup that purports to do this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that it 
you have to sort of return, or at least I try to do this, just like return to the initial seed of the idea and the initial impulse and, you know, the initial desire. Uh, because I think, yeah, I think it, it, it is very easy to write, to get lost in kind of the muck of current events. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I, and I think too that as much as this play feels sort of um, quote unquote relevant or in response to current events, it's also, it feels rooted in things that have been, that we've all been feeling in various ways for decades. So I think just thinking less about, for me at least in the process, like trying to kind of turn down the volume on on headlines and just return to like the actual story and the um, emotional journey of the characters is kind of a way I try to navigate that. We're talking today to the playwright Steph Del Rosso. Her new play, The Gradient, has its world premiere at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis this Friday. You can catch that at COCA. Um, for ticket information, you'll want to see repstl.org. So, Steph, you were describing this process of, of the previews, of hearing those unexpected laughs and, and realizing this play was was working. Um, you're having this world premiere in St. Louis, and you are not a St. Louisan. What made you decide to do this here at the Rep? Yeah, well, um, I had met the artistic director of the Rep, Hannah Sharif, at, uh, she came to my workshop grad school production of The Gradient back in 2019, um, and just remained such a champion of me in the play, um, and they wanted to program it here, and I was thrilled because honestly, I think the rep is a really, really special place. It's a really artist centered place and it's run by people who just really prioritize um, new work and the vision that the playwright is interested in. Um, they also, yeah, I just think that this place too is, they, they were, you know, providing me artistic opportunities and, and financial support like during the pandemic. And um, it's just like a really incredible place for, for playwrights to be. So I really jumped at the opportunity and it's very surreal to be here when, you know, there was a time when we thought theater might not exist anymore. Yeah. And I imagine that that's a harder time for playwrights than so many other people working in so many other mediums. I've talked to so many artists who really enjoyed that, that time of things just being quiet and, and getting a, being able to be with themselves. Theater is so collaborative. I mean, did things mm -hmm. just come to a screeching halt for you because of that? Yeah, it, yeah, I was actually, um, in March, 2020, along with, you know, thousands of other artists, I was in the middle of rehearsal for a different play, um, that, that was interrupted, of course, due to the pandemic. And yeah, it was, it was definitely an intense time. I think, um, right. Exactly what you spoke to. I mean, it's such, I, I came to the theater because of the community. I think that that, you know, it's, it's a medium that exists in three dimensions and it really doesn't exist when I'm just alone in my at my computer reading aloud a play to myself. It's not exactly the same experience. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a shift for sure. And I think, you know, we, we, we were nimble and we all found ways to adjust and try to, um, work digitally, but it's been, it's been really exciting to just be back in, in the presence of audiences again. 
because I really I did miss that. I also find myself wondering about your job as a playwright. It just seems like the coolest job ever. And yet, you know, what you're so good at is writing this dialogue that's just so funny, but also feels so true. And it seems like you could easily just cash in and, and go work on a TV show, that those gifts would be very well, <laughs> well employed there. What keeps you working in the theater um, in light of that? Yeah, I mean, I think I will, I, I'll first say that I think, I think it is possible to do both. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about the prospect of doing both. I know a lot of playwrights I admire sort of navigate both spaces. Um, and I do think, yeah, I mean, TV, the dialogue right now is, I think, uh, at such a high level, and there's such exciting storytelling happening in that medium. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think theater was uh, definitely like my first love. I mean, I grew up doing community theater and being in like big splashy musicals and um, just not writing for them. Were you singing and dancing? I was, I started as a dancer. Yeah, no, I didn't write musicals. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that's a, that's hard for a kid to do, but okay. So you're you're acting, you're out on stage. When did you start to think, no, I want to be writing the words? Pretty early on. I think I was, I was, yeah. I mean, I was always kind of I was like an orphan and Annie. I was never one of the leads um, because that just wasn't really for me. I really enjoyed sort of being more in the background, but I did always love the, the, again, the communal aspect of it, being with this cast. Um, So I think, and and from, I was always a big reader as a kid, but you know, when you're a kid, the the concept of playwright, that I couldn't really conceive of that as a career at that point. So Mm -hmm. initially it was like, you know, short stories, novels. um, And then when I went to college and sort of, chased playwriting a bit more directly. And then when I moved to New York, that's when that really took shape for me. And that's something that, you know, pre-pandemic, I mean, you know, I know things are still sort of sorting out. We're going to see what still stands when all this is over. But this can be a full-time job. Yeah, I, right, right. That's, that's the hope. I mean, I think um, it's, it's always a balancing act. I, you know, I also teach playwriting on the side. Um, It's, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm maybe on the cusp of being at a position in which, um, you know, I, I I can I can abandon you know waitressing jobs and other things that had sustained me earlier on in my career, and that is um, that's really an exciting prospect. It feels good to maybe be on be on the verge of that. Boy, that is so exciting. You are living my dream. I say jealously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so happy for you though, and and this play is so good. And you know the acclaim that that you've been earning in your career. It seems like things are really taking off for you. I'm curious though. You mentioned that when Hannah Sharif of the Rep first saw this play, uh, this was in a workshop production. How much has this play changed from the point where she first saw it to what you're going to be putting on St. Louis stages this weekend? Yeah, it's um, it's evolved. It hasn't changed substantially. I mean, in terms of the the general arc and a lot of the key details have remained intact. But during our rehearsal process, we I've definitely been doing some rewriting around um, the clients who attend the gradient. That track has shifted a bit, and as well as the central relationship between the two character the, the two main characters of Tess and Jackson. Um, all sort of nothing that really strays from my initial impulses. But I think what's so great about being in a rehearsal room again is that like I have all these brains that, that I'm collaborating with and things that I can try in the room. So, um, so yeah, there definitely have been some shifts. So the actors can, can almost help critique things a little bit as they're, as they're trying to make it work. You're seeing what works and what could be better. Definitely, yeah. 
Boy, that's so cool. And so this, do you now feel that you have the finished version of this play or could things <laughs> still change before Friday? <laughs> I think, I think we are pretty much set for Friday. However, you sound for somewhat hesitant. I mean, pretty much set. It doesn't sound like yeah. you're 100% sure. <laughs> I just, I think that's sort of my personality. I think it's hard to feel fully done with something, especially something like a play, you know, different than, I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe novelists feel this too, even when they have a, a, a book published that it's not quote unquote done. But I think especially something that's that's so dynamic, like a play that can constantly change depending on a, a certain audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to really kind of put a period at the end of the sentence. But I think I should. I think I should get better at that. So I'm going to say <laughs> yes. We are. We are ready. We're, we're done for Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what are your hopes and dreams for the Gradient? It runs here through October 24th. Do you have plans for where it might go next? I don't currently have plans, but I but I'd love for the play to have a continued life. Um, you know, it's already been so fruitful to hear different responses to the piece and reactions and be in conversation with folks here about the play that I'd just love to keep that conversation going in other cities. And I have to ask, I mean, as, as you're reading the newspaper today or, or scrolling on your phone, uh, such as more people are more likely to be doing, is there anything you're reading about now that's ripped from the headlines where you feel like, you know what, this is the thing that's taking shape in my head where I might want to take this on next? Oh, wow. Um, in terms of like separate from the gradient. Yeah, new. for the next play. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think I've been I've been kind of kicking around to play for a while um, about anti-abortion protesters in front of various Planned Parenthoods and clinics around the country. And I think in light of um, recent legislation that's becoming all too urgent. So I think um, that's been something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. So, hey, your time in Missouri could end up being very fruitful for research. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very excited about uh, this play's world premiere. Again, that is this Friday. Will you be in the audience that night? I will be in the audience. Yes, I'll be there. So if you're tempted to go see The Gradient and you're the kind that laughs out loud, uh, the playwright herself, Steph Del Rosso, <laughs> will probably be hearing that laugh. And it sounds like, Steph, you'll be taking some, some great comfort from, from the laughs that this play gets. Oh, absolutely. Well, Steph Del Rosso, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I don't know if this is appropriate for playwrights, but I guess break a leg on Friday? That still works. Yeah. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by Sarah Fenske, with audio engineering by Aaron Dore, and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Jane. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. 
Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.